Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to another Moonlight edition of the uh, Twin Bills uh, podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me, uh, uh, as usual, is the um, likewise nocturnal uh, Bill Koch. Uh, Bill, we are here again in the wee hours after uh, we worked on putting out uh, the uh, the Wednesday Providence Journal uh, because we had some news today, and that news is the Hall of Fame uh, announcement came out, and uh, to no one's surprise, uh, Yankees great uh, Derek Jeter got in easily, as he well should. Uh, and to some people's surprise, I suppose, Larry Walker, in his last year of eligibility, also got in. So unlike podca- unlike podcasts of the past where we obviously focus on the Red Sox, this is more of an MLB-wide podcast. Um, so why don't we just start off with the easy ones here, Bill. Jeter, no one has an argument that he should not be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, in fact, there was only one voter who argued this. Uh, Jeter was nearly unanimous, 396 out of 397 ballots cast. Right. Uh, you know, not all those votes have been made public yet, and, and some of them might not. Uh, it is your option when you're a Hall of Fame voter to have your vote uh, kept private going forward. And to forward. be clear, you are not a Hall of Fame voter, I, and neither am I. I am not I a Hall of Fame voter. you have to be on the beat for like uh, 35 years or something <laughs> before, they give, you, it's, before uh, they give you a vote. It's, it's 10 years continuously, either covering a team as a beat writer, uh, or covering baseball on a national level. So mm-hmm. it does take to, it takes some time. The idea, I think, there is to get familiar with the gener- the uh, generation of players who you're going to be voting on. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, you'll have seen you know 10 years' worth of player in the league. Um, you know, By the time I start voting for Hall of Fame, which I, I hope to do, uh, I hope I'm in the industry and, and covering baseball long enough, you're going to have guys like Mike Trout on the ballot. Right. Uh, you know, in, in, well, that'll in, be an easy one. Well, that'll be an easy one, right, right. Uh, but you all have the great players of, of this generation. Right. Um, I do know that you know from the writers who I'm familiar with, uh, they take this process very seriously. Uh, you know, it is the greatest honor in the game, in, in my mind. Uh, aside from, you know, winning a championship or, or winning a most valuable player, uh, you know, being a Hall of Famer is immortal. Um, you know, you're there with the greats, whether it's. You know, Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb or Henry Aaron or Willie Mays. Uh, you know, your name is aside theirs in Cooperstown, and you know it's it's a really serious responsibility. And I I think the voter the uh, the voters the electorate I think they all view it that way, as they well should. I mean, once you're a Hall of Famer, you're always a Hall of Famer, right? You are introduced as Hall of Famer uh, John Doe, um, and you're right. I think it's uh, something that most of the writers, at least the people that I've uh, come across and have known and, and um, worked with over the years who had the uh, privilege uh, of, of voting take it very seriously it's not something mm. that they just they don't just go online and say okay well who's got the highest war we'll just go with that guy that's right <laughs> you know 
Right. So Jeter, obviously uh, a slam dunk for me. Uh, you know, if I had had a vote, I, I certainly would have put him in. Um, you know, his career numbers, his sustained excellence for so long, uh, I think is probably what sets him apart. Uh, you know, obviously his performances in October, he has five World Series rings. He was fortunate enough to be playing for the Yankees uh, during that time. But you look at his slash line in the postseason, uh, 308 hitter, 838 OPS. You compare that to the regular season, 310 hitter, 817 OPS. So he's actually more powerful, more impactful, yep. just as good a hitter against what you would expect to be the most elite pitching the game has to offer uh, in that space. So yep. you know, a guy who always rose to the occasion seemed like he had a, a, a almost a natural understanding of the moment and you know, clearly someone who belongs in the Hall of Fame. You know, the thing about Derek Jeter to me, and, uh, you know, I've heard this argument made, um, you know, over the years, in that he wasn't always the greatest shortstop in the game. He may never have been actually the greatest shortstop in the game in the years he played. I mean, he played with, um, or at least uh, uh, in the same years as Alex Rodriguez when A-Rod was was the shortstop. Obviously, Red Sox fans remember Nomar Mm -hmm. Gossiapara, and there were some years that Nomar's numbers eclipsed Derek Jeter's numbers. No question. Um, <clears throat> but the thing about Jeter that always impressed me, and and obviously you and I were raised in in uh, in New England and and Red Sox fans, so yeah. you know the sight of the Yankees didn't exactly warm the cockles of our hearts. No. But uh, for me, I've always given that begrudging requ- uh, uh, respect to Jeter because he was such an Iron Man. I mean, right. he always played. If you looked at his, if you look at his career numbers. I mean, he's playing 150 games almost every year, right. and he was and he's been in the league. He was in the league forever. Obviously, a winner. Um, somebody who uh, played in the microscope or the heart, the bright lights of New York. Let's say, never really had any big scandals. You know, I mean, no. he was. I mean, you know, he was kind of known as sort of a little bit of a playboy and stuff. But there was nothing any nothing really huge. You know. His starting nine um, off the field is uh, one for the books. <laughs> absolutely. If you want to Google his personal but, relationships. But he, uh, you know, he just, he was always really good, always there for his team, came up clutch when they needed him. And, you know, as a Red Sox fan, you hated seeing Derek Jeter in the box with runners on base when he when you know that he could hurt you, because oftentimes he would. You, you mentioned the games played and just his ability to punch the clock every <clears> single day. If you look at his seasons, aside from when he was a call-up in 1995 and he played 15 games, 2013 he only played 17 games. He was injured then. Right. His 18 other years, he was rookie of the year in 96. The 17 other seasons, he was in the top 10 of the AL MVP voting eight times, which means he's a top 10 player in the American League eight times full seasons out of 17, and a ninth when he's the rookie of the year. Right. right. Um, You know, just consistent excellence year in and year out. Uh, He get MVP votes in in two other years, three other years, actually. So, you know, just consistently good on a consistently good team, Um, the face of of baseball's dynasty. And, you know, as we've seen with other athletes in, in baseball and other sports, a lot of times it's very difficult to handle that burden and still perform. And, and he managed to do it with you know, incredible grace and, and professionalism. Well, we'll go from the um, <clears throat> no-brainer uh, Hall of Fame inductee to the other guy. The other guy was Larry <laughs> Walker, who was in his last year of eligibility, longtime Colorado Rocky. And, you know, <clears throat> Bill Reynolds, who is uh, a colleague of ours, longtime journal columnist and, uh, you know, all-around sage when it comes to sports, mm. 
uh, has a great line. Uh, I'm sure it's not his original line, but it's something that uh, I, I've heard him say many times and I completely agree with, and that is, you know a Hall of Famer when you see one. Sure. And Derek Jeter is a Hall of Famer. Right. I think Larry Walker, you really have to kind of bend yourself into a pretzel to come out and say, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Now, I understand that uh, the easy thing to do when it comes to Hall of Famers is to point to somebody who's in the Hall of Fame and say, well, if Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer, then this, and I get it, but I don't think I or you would probably be voting for Harold Baines either. So um, the thing with Larry Walker, obviously, is that he played many years. Uh, he came up with the Expos, I want to say. Correct. Uh, played many years, I want to say out of eight or ten years or something like that for Colorado. Ten seasons, correct. And, uh, you know, we know what's happening in Colorado with the air and, and uh, you know, the the, uh, the less resistance on the ball. Yep. And if you look at his, as everyone has, his home road splits, they tell quite the, they tell, they tell quite the story. Um, you know, he spent... Um, or he played a thousand uh, two games away from uh, away from uh, well on the road. It's not just Coors Field, but mm-hmm. on the road, and then nine hundred and eighty six games at home, many of which were in Coors Field. Right, and his his uh, batting average at home was three forty eight. His batting average on the road was two seventy eight. Yeah, home runs on the road, um. 168 mm-hmm. home runs at home 215 and his uh OBP on the road 370 at home 431 and you get the pattern here right, right? he was a much better hitter and it's not his fault right <laughs> he was playing where the, where he you know when they signed him but uh he was a much better hitter in Coors Field um and to me that just I don't know, that just waters down his candidacy. It's a very difficult discussion. Uh, you know, we broke this into categories a little bit, and I had Larry Walker and Todd Helton listed as the Coors guys. Uh, right. You know, because you you got two guys. And that's not because they're drinking Coors. No, no. Well, Although they, may, they be, may well have been. They may be, but not during the game as far as we can tell. But but you've got two guys who played the majority of their careers, in Helton's case, his entire career, right. with the Rockies. Uh, right. You know, Walker... Started with the Expos, went to the Rockies, finished with the Cardinals in a couple of years. He was the MVP in 1997 with Colorado. Uh, that was a year where he had an 1169 OPS at home and 1176 OPS on the road. So he was consistently excellent across any ballpark that he was in. That was his 30-year-old season. Mm-hmm. He had several other years with Colorado where his OPS was three and sometimes 400 points lower. On the road. On the road. If you look at 2003, for example, uh, he had a 1021 OPS at home, 766 on the road. Wow. Uh, 2000 was 1062 at home, 770 on the road. That's not an all-star player. That's not even you know a sort of average production middle of the order outfielder. Right. Um, You know. So you would look at at that and you would say. How much of this was really manufactured in Coors Field? His career slash line at Coors in 597 games, 381, 462 on base, 710 slugging at Coors Field. Uh, career in 1988 games, it's 313, 400, 565, 965 OPS. All good numbers, yeah. but all significantly enhanced over a third of those games mm-hmm. playing at Coors Field. Uh, you know, so... Walker, to me, was a guy who I wouldn't necessarily have voted for. 
Uh, I understand from the writers who covered him, he's one of the good guys in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody who who did end up playing in a World Series uh, with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, postseason, twenty eight games, two thirty three fifty five ten, eight sixty OPS, no rings. Right. That doesn't necessarily move the needle like some other guys would in in the playoffs. Uh, you know, so I think that the electorate as a whole might have looked at this and thought this is Walker's last year on the ballot. Jeter is really the only slam dunk guest that we have. Right? Are we going to put him in alone, or am I going to use one of my ten available selections to put a guy in who I like, right. who's a good story, who feels good to vote for? And I think largely that's why Larry Walker ended up with seventy six point six percent of the vote. Just enough to get in. Seventy five is the threshold, right? Correct. And um, you know that that really shouldn't be the criteria whether he's a good guy or he's a jerk. Uh, you know, obviously Ty Cobb was not a very good guy. He got in. Uh, people will say that Jim Rice had to wait a long time because he was he was sort of didn't get along uh, with the media, right? Didn't, didn't right. like the media. Babe Ruth was <coughs> up to his exploits off the field, as was right. Mickey but Babe Mantle Ruth got in right away, right, right away. You know, because he was great. Uh, right, right. I mean, and the thing with Larry Walker, and, and I feel the same way about Jim Rice, and I'm glad Jim Rice is in the Hall of Fame. You know, Red Sox fan, I like I loved him growing I was up. Say and all he that. was your guy, wasn't he? No, Evans was my guy. Oh, Dwight but, Evans, okay. But, but Rice was right up there. Um, but you know. It just seems like if it takes ten times to convince yourself the guy's a Hall of Famer, maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. I don't disagree with that. You know, I mean, that, that's not to say that everyone should get in on their first try. And I, and trust me, I get the whole, you know, oh, there's only, you know, only a few people have ever gotten in on the first, which I think is a bunch of malarkey. You know? I mean, I think <laughs> if you're, right. you know, if Joe DiMaggio, Joe DiMaggio should should have gotten in on his first try. Well, he wasn't unanimous. Willie Mays wasn't unanimous. Right, right. Well, that's that's what I mean. Uni- that's like what I mean. Un- unanimous, right? It's silly, right? But you know what they uh, what they always point to is uh, sort of well, Joe Namath didn't get in. Uh, wasn't unanimous. Uh, Joe Namath. Joe, Joe DiMaggio wasn't unanimous. Right. But Babe Ruth wasn't but unanimous. But if you go back and you and you and you talk about those early years of the Hall of Fame. You know, the Hall of Fame started in 1939. They couldn't put everyone in right away. Right. You know, so it, it just just the function of numbers was such that, okay, well, some guys couldn't get in right away and didn't, you know, so they need to kind of spread it out a little bit. Well, well, we're way past that now. We should be. And, you, you know, I mean, one guy didn't vote for Derek Jeter. One, one person. Right. You know, and I'm hoping that we find out why that is, you know. Because I don't know how you how you convince yourself that he's not a Hall of Famer. But. Well, theoretically, it, the the justification you could make if you don't think that Jeter is in on the merits is you're assuming enough of the electorate is going to put Jeter in the seventy five percent, and you have ten other people who you'd like to vote for. Right, because you you can you can vote for you can vote for ten, right? It's ten maximum, and but you might, but you don't have to vote for ten. Correct, you can vote for one, right. you can vote for none, you can vote for nine. Right. Whatever number you want. So you might just assume, hey, Jeter's going to get elected. Enough people I've spoken to have him on their ballots. I'm going to vote for this guy who's a little bit down the ballot, but I think that yeah. he should gain some steam and get, or like, I'm going to vote for Larry Walker because it's his last time and I think he should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And if it's between voting for him and voting for Jeter and voting for somebody else, Jeter's already going to get in. Walker needs my vote. More. You know, I think if you truly believe that Larry Walker is a Hall of Famer, hey, you know, God bless you. More power to you. That that's fine. Right. But if you're doing it because you tr- it's you're trying to be strategic or you're trying to say, well, he's a good guy, and you know, that's not 
seems flimsy. That's not why you should be a Hall of Famer. That's right. Right. You should be a Hall of Famer because if you're a batter and you get into the box, the the other team says, "Oh crap!" Right. Right. And if you're a pitcher and you take the mound and you know he, he, your your team is uh, up by one run, or you know you're the batter, your team is down by one run, you don't think you're going to be able to get a hit off this guy. That's right. That, you know, that's that's Hall of Fame quality. What's well, greatness? It's, right. it's the Hall of Fame. It's, it's consistent the Hall of great, great greatness over many years. Yes, correct. Right? I mean, we've had plenty of players who, fl- I mean, how many of us would have bet that Nomar Garciaparo would not be in the Hall of Fame when he was in the middle of that great run? Yeah. Right? I mean, everybody was saying, well, this guy. Yeah, 2000, He's 2001. A sh- yeah, late 90s, yeah. early 2000s. We were like, well, this guy's a surefire Hall of Fame. No question. It didn't last that long. No. Right? And obviously there might have been other reasons why that was, but... Yeah. But um, we'll get to that later in the podcast, <laughs> right? Oddly enough, but uh, but the point is, it it comes and goes. That's you know? right. And with Jeter, it never went. <laughs> That's know? right. He was always right. really at the top of the game. You know, and Walker was enhanced by his environment. Uh, now, yeah. he took full advantage of the humidor and playing at altitude, and you know, weak National League and the expansion era because right. the Marlins had just come in and the Rays had just come in and. Yeah, none of these things were his fault, by the way. None of these things were his fault. <laughs> right. he, he took advantage of, of great circumstances. Yep. Um, you know, he's in. He should be celebrated. He's been voted in. Yeah. It is what it is. They're not going to take him out because you and I don't think that he should be right. in. But, right. you know, that is what it is. So, anyway, uh, you did, a, I think, a very masterful job here of, of uh, oh, thank you. putting the... Uh, oh, well, you're welcome. It's late, so I'm probably not thinking straight. <laughs> uh, putting all the, the, uh, the players, kind of grouping them into... Uh, you know, according to certain themes. Mm. So why don't you take us through the rest of the ballot here? Uh, well, you, you started off with the yes, Jeter, right. obviously. Uh, the no's on here, and, and none of these guys ended up making it. Several of them didn't get one vote. Right, and these are guys who were just eligible because they retired within the window, and now they beca- right. they come up for the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bobby Abreu, who actually got 5.5%, yeah, who's and, a, who's and will a good, stay on the ballot. Who was a good player, and a very good player in some years, and a, and... Had a long, very productive career. Not a Hall of Famer. Like, he was fine. Yeah. But not a Hall of Famer. Right. Heath Bell, no. Eric Chavez, Adam Dunn, Sean Figgins, Rafael Farcal, Raul Ibanez, Paul Canerco, Cliff Lee, Carlos Pena, Brad Penny, J.J. Poots, Brian Roberts, Jose Valverde. None of those players got in, and I think all of them will be off the ballot, uh, with the exception of Bobby Abreu. Uh, next time around when we come up in 2021. Uh, the yes, Derek Jeter, obviously we've discussed him. Right. The next group that you go to, I, I guess since Larry Walker is elected, we'll skip to the Coors guys. And you've got Larry Walker and Todd Helton mm-hmm. are, are the two most prominent guys on the ballot. Uh, Todd Helton got 29.2% of the vote. This is his second year on the ballot. Okay. Um, I look at Helton as a guy who's similar to Walker in that he had one top five MVP finish. His splits at 345, 441, 607 at Coors. Away, he was 287, 386, 469. 1048 OPS at home, 855 OPS away. So he's a monster at home right. and human away. Right. Uh, you know, And I just think that, that Helton, if I'm going to look and I'm going to say Helton's never won an MVP – he didn't win a World Series. He didn't do things in the postseason that, that blew you away. To me, he's going to end up paying the ballpark tax. I wouldn't mm. see myself voting for Todd Helton. I, I think he was a good player. 
I think he put up good numbers yeah, I mean, for an extended period of time. Yeah, he had, he had a couple of years where he was a monster, where he was for sure. really good. Right. But to me, I just look at the ballpark and I think to myself, Coors Field helped everyone so much right. during that era when they couldn't calibrate the balls right, when they were trying to use the humidor, uh, when pitchers were complaining that their breaking stuff was off and not moving as much as it would in other places. Uh, I think Helton was a good player who took complete advantage of that and I couldn't necessarily see myself voting for him. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I mean, I, I I couldn't see myself voting for Larry Walker, and I couldn't see myself voting for for Todd Helton. Again, very good players. Love to have him on my team. Uh, is he a, is he a Hall of Famer? You know, I think there are there are some years there that if you replicated those same years uh, more often, then I think I'd I'd consider them more more seriously. But I think uh, I think he's one of those guys that falls just short. He's just like short. he's like the the uh, the four A player, you right, know. Right, very good. Uh, you know, only three top tens in the MVP, so not necessarily considered an elite player in right. a given season among his peers. Uh, and that's what this is for. It's to separate the truly elite from the good or the very good. The next block that you would go to, probably one of the most controversial blocks that's going to be on this list: the PED guys, people who have been linked whether through significant evidence or through the Mitchell report, um, you know, or through entire books written about PED use in baseball. Yep. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Jason Giambi, who's going to be off the ballot, Andy Pettit, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, and Sammy Sosa, who never tested positive, wasn't named in Balco or in Biogenesis or in anything else, but because his totals were so ridiculous right. for a stretch Everyone there in the late 90s and the early was, 2000s, was doing everyone PEDs, assumes right. that he was using PEDs. Oh. I don't know, Bill, if I've ever asked you your thoughts, whether as a group or individually, on the list of players who I just named. You know, <clears throat> I think initially, and this is probably true of a lot of people, I think initially, uh, you know, I was against putting any PED guys in the Hall of Fame because um, I thought, well, you're cheating. You are uh, giving yourself an unfair advantage, um, and but then the problem with me, Bill, is that you know we are sort of saying, okay, well, we know these guys have uh, ties to PEDs because they either failed a test, they showed up on a report, they uh, they apologized or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but. To me, that's just sort of a small part of probably a lot of other players who, for whatever reason, never sort of came into the crosshairs. They got away with it. They got away with it, and maybe they played in a place where, you know, they they weren't looking as hard. Um, so it, it was it's it's hard for me to say, well, I won't vote for uh, Barry, Ban- Barry Bonds because I know, you know, uh, or I believe that he was a PED guy. Right. Um but I'll vote for somebody else that never showed up on a report, but played in the same era, and you know, uh, put up some some good numbers. And I'm just sort of someone like g- giving them the benefit of the doubt that that they got away with like got away with it. The the two guys I think who got tagged with that stigma for a while, and both eventually got into the hall. Jeff Bagwell and Mike Piazza come to mind. Right. Uh, people sort of looked at them and thought. Yeah, there's something fishy there yeah, about both sure, guys. Sure, it's never anything proven. They were never really named in anything, and eventually they did get in. I think eventually it would be it's it would be ridiculous not to have 
the home run leader of baseball mm. in the Hall of Fame, mm. and not to have a pitcher like Roger Clemens in the. So I mean, my 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 sort of this is the long way around of saying I think eventually these guys are going to you know if their careers were worthy enough, and I think you can also you can sort of justify it I think to some degree by saying well you know Barry Bonds was more than just a home run hitter. Right, right. He did lots of things very well, especially early in his career. Sure, great defender at speed. Uh, you know, um, so you know, PEDs may not really influence all of those aspects. Of Won the game. three MVPs in Pittsburgh, right? Before he even went to San Francisco. So I, I, I think they're eventually going to get in. I think if I had the vote, I would eventually relent and and probably vote for these guys because I just think you'd have this huge time frame of the game where you would just be really. You could never really be sure that just because somebody didn't show up on a report that, oh, they're not tied to PEDs. Right. So, you know, uh, and certainly baseball was embarrassed itself, I think, by not really going after it for for a very long time. The the shameful thing is that Bud Selig, who you know pretty much tacitly approved this by not being able to get testing through, he's in the Hall of Fame and none of these players are. <laughs> right, exactly. Which is a total joke. Right, uh, absolutely. And, and it's it's an example of the owners and the Veterans Committee and whoever was in charge of that looking out for one of their own. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame and, and Barry Bonds, who I am not a big fan of at all, right, uh, and who I certainly think was cheating and made a mockery of the game's record book, the fact that Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame and Barry Bonds is not is an absolute joke. Right. It's a I ridiculous mean, contradiction. Ba- Barry Bonds could have stopped playing you know, probably eight years before he did, and he was probably a Hall of Fame player by then. He he could have retired before he even went to the Giants, and I think well, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's true. He's His a three-time Pittsburgh MVP. Yeah, right, right. Uh, you know, I, I certainly think that he had probably done enough by then. He was already looked at as one of the, the game's great players. Yeah, no, absolutely was. Um, yeah. You know, Roger Clemens, if you look at what he did in Boston, it's it's pretty – if you wanted to make a circumstantial case, toward the end of his Boston career, he's in his early 30s. He's wearing down, it looks like. Dan Duquette sort of declares him done. Right. He goes to Toronto, and all of a sudden he's rejuvenated in yeah. two years. He right. wins to Cy Young twice. He wins 20 games twice. And then he moves on and is great with the Yankees and the Astros and wherever else. And he doubles his win total from there. I think he won 192 games with the Red Sox. He finished in the 360s or 370s. Right, right. Wow. Um, you know, but... All that's after 32 or 33. Yeah. And he clearly shown signs of decline. So it's fishy. Yeah. And that ab- it's absolutely fishy. It's fishy. Uh, and I'm certainly not arguing the case that they did, these guys didn't do anything. I just think it would be hard to, um, to start sort of nitpicking and say, well, I think this guy did it. I don't think that guy did it. Right. I just think eventually you're just going to. Now, my, people might say, well, what about, you know, does, that, does Mark McGuire get in? I, I guess the question is. Well, if you take away all the home runs, is he a, is he a Hall of Fame? McGuire sort <laughs> you know? of. I mean, his, his sort of average gets... and and on base and all that other stuff. Well, he got walked a lot too, but you know, it's not like he was a great defender. No, you know? he he gets sort of labeled the one trick pony. Yeah, right. Um, you know, a little a little bit in that way. I mean, Dave Kingman hit a ton of home runs in his day too, prior to PED use, and he's not uh, he's not in the Hall of Fame last I checked. So. Right, you know, McGuire, you're looking at him, he's career 982 OPS, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five top five finishes for the MVP, uh, top ten, sorry. You could probably see a way to voting him in if it wasn't so clear that, you know, he was a steroid creation in St. Louis and and pretty much 
admitted to it in front of Congress. Um, you know, I, I agree. I, I had that discussion with Nick Cafardo uh, before he passed, the, mm-hmm. the great Boston Globe baseball writer. And, and I asked him what he thought about voting for PED users. And, and he said very much what you did there. Um, you can't necessarily prove who was and who was not right. cheating. Some guys got caught and some guys didn't. Right. Um, you know, you don't necessarily know if Barry Bonds was hitting 762 home runs against guys who were dirty. Right. And if that was the case, then he was greater than them anyway. Uh, you know, so it's it's a very difficult, complex discussion. I, I think that's why the, the the voting, the standards allow you some latitude, some personal latitude. Uh, you can make your decision about what you can tolerate and what you can't. Um, with that, we segue to the next person on this list who is a category unto himself. <laughs> former Red Sox right-hander Kurt Schilling. You wrote the infidel on the notes here, Bill. I did indeed. <laughs> You've just outed me. I did. Uh, well, any Anyone who consorts with Breitbart and Alex Jones <laughs> and Infowars, well, uh, in my mind, is a fairly reprehensible person and, and not necessarily putting forth uh, the best reflection of himself or herself in the public view. But that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not, or at least in my view, whether or not Kurt Schilling belongs in the Hall of Fame. All of that said, I would be voting for Kurt Schilling. Yeah. I think he is a Hall of Famer. You know, Kurt Schilling is one of those guys that um, I always looked upon as um, when he had the ball, you had a great chance to win the game. Now, if you look at his numbers in the in the regular season, they're not great, but they're they're, good. they're not certainly not bad. They're good, right? But the thing that would and I agree with you, I would vote for him too if I had a vote. And the thing that puts him over the top for me, and he's getting closer, right? I mean, he he got what did he get? Like seventy? You said seventy something percent. This is eighth year on the ballot. Yeah. He got seventy percent of the vote. Seventy. Oh, he, he needs seventy five. He's the first player out. Um, okay. You know, it stands to reason that you could have Schilling, Clemens, and Bonds, who are all in their eighth year on the ballot, all get in at once. Uh. If if baseball sort of wants to purge sins all in one class, right. whether it's you know, someone like Schilling who, who has gone on after his career to, to sort of stain his public image. Uh, and you take Bonds and Clemens, who are the two most uh, noteworthy and preeminent steroid guys, PED guys of that era. If you sort of wanted to have the blackballed class uh, among those three, <laughs> hell, you right. could throw Pete Rose in there too. And, and just <laughs> well, have that's like a different the, thing. But you okay. could have like the protested right. uh, Hall of Fame <laughs> class, right. And, right. and you get them all out of the way. So that you can elect the quote-unquote clean guys or the Snow White guys in other years. So and with, with Schilling, though, the thing that stuck out to me is his postseason performance. And it wasn't just one postseason. No. It wasn't like he just, you know, he, he got a hot hand one year. I mean, you know, he, he went to the postseason several times uh, with several different teams. And uh, I'm reading from your notes here, so I credit you, Thank you. for looking this up. but. Yeah, he's eleven and two in the postseason with a two point two three ERA. Yeah, one hundred and twenty strikeouts over one hundred and thirty three in a third innings. Uh, you know, I mean, I was a huge Kurt Schilling fan when he was uh, playing for the Diamondbacks and they beat the Yankees. No question, right? <laughs> and and then obviously he came here and and uh, helped the Red Sox win the World Series. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, the bloody sock and the ALCS with the Yankees it will forever go down and in Red Sox lore. Um, but um, I think that from time to time there are players who rise to the rise to the occasion on the biggest stage 
and he did it not again not just not just once but over several games in several different postseasons for several different teams. Oh, and by the way, during the regular season, he was a pretty good pitcher too. Yeah, uh, 3,200 innings plus. He was about a strikeout and inning guy, 3.46 ERA, which considering the area that he pitched in is, is pretty good for a starter. Um, but the playoffs, you mentioned it, 12 postseason series. His team's lost two of them. Right. The 1993 World Series with the Phillies. Uh, and the 2002 Division Series with the Diamondbacks, they were the defending champions. Right. Uh, didn't get out of the Division Series. But you look at the rest of his career, uh, that Phillies team with John Cruck and Darren Dalton and Lenny Dykstra, the, the sort of dirt dogs there, right. uh, battled their way into the World Series, lost to the Blue Jays. Uh, and then with the Red Sox, obviously. In 04, the curse breakers against the Yankees. Uh, and then you know, in 2007, a team steamrolled to another title over the Rockies. Right. Uh, he was phenomenal in those games. You, you look at specifically Game Six of the ALCS, the Bloody Sock game in 2004. Uh, you look at the way that he got pounded in Game Two uh, was clearly not right. No, obviously. Um, right. You know, went out there and took the ball. You know, three games later, and and was superb. The Yankees weren't anywhere near him. Uh, Boston won that game pretty comfortably. You know, granted. They had to survive a swat from Alex Rodriguez at the end, and <laughs> right. the umpires got together and got a call or two right, right. in that one. Uh, Mark Bellhorn home run also comes to mind, which they initially ruled a ground rule right. inexplicably. Right. <laughs> um, but Schilling, this is the part that's really going to test the writers in terms of personally, uh, what are your standards? Because there are clauses in the BBWAA's uh, Hall of Fame criteria, their guidelines, uh, that do give you some latitude based on your personal feelings, based on the player's character. Um, you know, Kurt Schilling, the the last two or three years, um, you know, and certainly in Rhode Island, his name is mud based on uh, the video game company that went belly studios, up, 38 yeah. Studios, and, and the fact that, you know, there was so much money lost, uh, you know, in guaranteed loans and whatever else. Um, but the fact that he's consorting with the likes of Alex Jones, who, who's a new town, a Sandy Hook conspiracy theorist, it's repugnant. It's mm. disgusting. Uh, you know, and I, I certainly would not criticize anyone uh, who couldn't bring themselves to vote for Kurt Schilling. Uh, you reap what you sow, and, and he's asked for you know, that sort of public scrutiny uh, to fall on his personal character. Um, you know, a lot of people will simplify it and they'll say, well, he supports Donald Trump, so, you know, that's why you don't like him because you're in the media and you're to the left. Right. And well, I mean, a lot of players support Donald Trump, so. <laughs> baseball clubhouses are very much to the right. Uh, right. It's very much red state America right. in there. There's no reason that I wouldn't vote for, let's say, the Red Sox players who, who went to the White House this mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. to visit with Trump as opposed to the Red Sox players who skipped out. Um, you know, there's no way that I would sit there and tell you that I wouldn't vote for, for Chris Sale for the Hall of Fame if he ends up having a Hall of Fame career, right. uh, that I wouldn't vote for J.D. Martinez if he ends up having a Hall of Fame career. It has nothing to do with Schilling's support of Trump. It has to do with some of the personal standards that he's set through some of his other associations. It's just it, – it's sort of it, – it's like curdled milk, uh, <laughs> you know, leaves you with that feeling that, that you've had a sip of some of that. Um, but for me, personally – for my own standards, for my own feelings, I would be able to sleep at night knowing that I voted for Kurt Schilling for the Hall of Fame. I'd feel okay about his performance on the field, the fact that he came through in October, and the fact that you know there are some truly terrible people in the Hall of Fame already. I know that we're not supposed to use, you know, if player X is already in, then we can right. vote for player Y. I get that. But for me personally, I'm willing to put more focus on what goes on on the field 
and I would be willing to vote for Kurt Schilling into the Hall of Fame. You know, um, I was when I was growing up, we all I think had our idols, and I had baseball players who were my idols. Mm. But you know, it's funny; they were my idols because of what they did on the field. I didn't know really anything about them beyond that. We know more about them now than we ever have, probably, and we still don't know a lot, right? For the record, right, and 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 that's true. But you know, but that sort of uh, outlook is still with me today. When I admire a player, an athlete, I'm not thinking about you know where do they stand politically. And now, look, if you're Aaron Hernandez, it's a different deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're if you're out there committing crimes, then then Goodness. you know. But if you are just somebody who has a different political take than I do, or you know, listens to diff- different music than I do, or Whatever, but you know that stuff. It just, it just, I don't know. That just doesn't enter my uh, sphere of, you know, am I going to make a decision as to whether I like this person or not? I, I really admire them for playing baseball at a level that I know I could never. Right. You know, I mean, any of us who have played any sport, whether it's baseball or basketball or football or whatever, understand our own limitations. We know we we were pretty good up to a certain point, and then there was some separation. And here are these guys who probably never saw that separation or if they did it was you know once they got to the major leagues Mm. Uh, so that that's always been kind of my the reason that i admire somebody so um i wouldn't have uh, nearly as hard a time voting for for kurt schilling as other people doesn't mean i necessarily want to you know pal around with the guy if 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 his politics are so different than mine or or whatever but as a baseball player i i mean i think that uh, what he did on the field, I think, warrants uh, w- warrants consideration. So, moving on from Kurt Schilling, uh, you have um, well. Why don't let I? Why don't I let you uh, t- take the wheel here and tell me who we're going to next? Well, I sort of termed it uh, the rest, okay. and, and there are, there are a few <laughs> names that you know, you're sort of debating on the merits, and, mm-hmm. and might be a little less controversial. Uh, we're not known PED guys, uh, you know. We're not known to support conspiracy theorists. Uh, you know, we're, we're not, did not play the majority of their careers in Coors Field, anything right. like that. <laughs> um, the first guy at the top of the list was Josh Beckett, who didn't get any votes. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's a Hall of Famer. I was yeah. a little bit surprised that he didn't get any votes when you consider that Adam Dunn, Brad Penny, Raul Abanez, and J.J. Poots all got one. Uh, that, that seemed a little strange. Beckett in the postseason, sort of like Schilling, was fabulous. Uh, seven and three, three hundred three ERA in fourteen games. Right. Uh, he was the MVP of the two thousand World Series, uh, two thousand three World Series, and a twenty oh seven ALCS with Boston. Um, type of guy who you certainly would have wanted to take the ball in a big game. Uh, po- the regular season numbers aren't there. He's not really close to meriting consideration. Right. But I was surprised when I saw a zero next to it. Hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the the, the difference. I, I mean, I, I know you 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 compared him to Schilling. The difference in my mind is he didn't do it as often as Schilling did. Not close. And correct. D- wasn't as I don't think as dominant a pitcher for as long a period. Right. Uh, in regular season. Now, obviously, he was great when the Boston got him. They got him, I think, in two thousand and six. They won the World Series with him. Twenty one. Uh, won twenty games, I think, with in two thousand and seven. That was the that was the World Series team that is probably now the greatest World Series team the Red Sox ever had. <laughs> but we'll see. The report still hasn't yeah, come out, we'll, right? Um, we we've promised you all the penalty phase <laughs> podcast on right. the 2018 Red Sox, and right. we will do it. Right. Uh, you know, again, we, uh, Josh Beckett was one of those guys when he was in this prime, uh, and certainly when he was with the Red Sox in that 07 season, he was must must watch 
TV. Yeah. When he was pitching, you wanted to see him because he was so dominant. And he had that great attitude. Like, I'm just going to go out and just shove this down your throat. You well, the, the famous story about Game 5 in Cleveland, uh, when they brought in his ex-girlfriend to sing the national anthem. And, <laughs> right. You know, he, he sort of uh, thanked the Indians in, in the bullpen, in no uncertain terms of the bullpen coach, and said, for the record, I dumped her. <laughs> right. uh, and, and went out and then went out and had jam. a great yeah, game. It was, yeah, it was a little, you know, Beckett could get a little salty. Absolutely. He, he had a Absolutely. little burr under his saddle for yeah. sure. Liked watching him. He's a great pitcher, not a Hall of Famer. Not a Hall of Famer. Uh, the next guy, Andrew Jones, uh, somebody who, you know, in my mind, Bill, when I think of Andrew Jones, I, I think of two things. Uh, one, how early he broke through right. as a player. Uh, he's on that World Series stage as a 19-year-old, I think, in 1996 with the Braves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hitting a home run in Yankee Stadium. Um, you know, just the, the talent and the fact that he sort of opened – a different market in baseball into Curacao, yep. uh, into Aruba, which Red Sox fans should be thankful for Andrew Jones because they have Xander Bogarts out of that. Um, Andrew Jones was won 10 gold gloves in center field, breathtaking ability uh, defensively. He was in the top 10 of the MVP voting twice uh, in the National League. The stunning thing for me when I looked at his numbers was his career basically ended at age 30. Uh, between 30 and 35, his last five or six years in the league, his slash line, 214, 314 on base, 420 slugging right. in 589 games. Now, you heard stories out of Atlanta and in different places where he went that he never really took care of himself, yeah. uh, that he sort of liked the nightlife a little bit. You could see that you know, just pictures of him in the batter's box, the young, trim, fit 19-year-old compared to the guy who was 32 or 33. It was very clear he'd put on a lot of weight. Yep. Um, but that drop-off shocking to me and, yeah. and certainly it not a guy dramatic. who I would have voted for. No. And and I think, you know, in my mind's eye, I think of Andrew Jones as that young, fabulous fielder who was a great hitter. But you're right. When you actually look at the numbers, his last five years were not very good. He ended with a two fifty four career batting average, which is not very good. No. Um, and he probably played a little too long because he probably wasn't in great shape and he couldn't replicate some of those earlier seasons. And like you said... He broke in at 19. He was in the league for 17 years. It was a long career. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's funny. You hear that name and you think, oh, yeah, you think of that mid-'90s uh, star with the Braves. But um, I think, uh, you know, I think he's had too many years where he wasn't close to that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't vote for him for the Hall of Fame either. Uh, another guy who didn't necessarily get close, Alfonso Soriano. He's going to be off the ballot. Uh Another guy who I, you know, I sort of looked at his numbers and, and realized that he wasn't quite up to snuff. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the postseason was was stunning. Uh, you remember Soriano obviously as a guy who would expand the strike zone and, and sort of swing at anything. Mm -hmm. In the regular season, you get away with that. In the playoffs, forty four career postseason games, a five sixty two OPS. Wow. Which is just dreadful. It, it just think that, you know, last year and given years, Sandy Leone would have like a six hundred OPS. Mm. Uh, so think about that Soriano was worse. And this is a guy who you know, pushed 40-40 a couple times. Right. A, a guy who was you know, thin and, and you looked and the bat looked like a club in his hands, but all of a sudden the ball would just launch off of it and he'd hit it eight miles. Right. Uh, you know, but just someone who, who really, you know, once you take a little deeper examination, uh, was not going to pass the test and, and get a Hall of Fame vote for me. You know, when he, was, when he broke in with the Yankees uh, right around 2000, uh, 99, I guess, was his first year. Well, uh, 2001 was the first year he played 158 games. 
I thought for sure this guy was going to be a lifelong Yankee. Mm. Uh, he really had that potential of, of you know, um, a great offensive player. Um, he uh, uh, he played at sort of an okay second base. Um, right, they flirted with making him an outfielder, right, like right. a right fielder, or whatever. Right, but I just thought his offense was so was so good that that he would just be there for for a long time. And I just thought, well, you know, him and Jeter in the in the in the middle of that field. Mm. But then, you know, it, he went to and uh, he went to Texas after that for he a few years. He was in the Alex Rodriguez trade. That's right, that's right. Texas for a few years, and then he kind of was with the Cubs for a long time, and and again. If you asked me in 2002 or 2003, what do you think? Do you think Alfonso Soriano is going to be in the Hall of Fame? Well, you know, judging by the last two or three or four years, I would probably have said, yeah, I think he probably. But he never really was able to recapture the, those same numbers. No. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't think that uh, I don't think he's going to get in. and I don't think he should. Nope. Uh, next guy, Billy Wagner. Yeah. Um, closer. Obviously, with several teams, right? Uh, I always think of him with the with the Astros. Me too, the yeah, Astros. Right? Um, you know, guy who really came of age in the strikeout era, uh, struck out a third of the batters he faced. Thirty six hundred batters faced, eleven hundred ninety six career strikeouts. Wow. So when you went up there, you you didn't have much of a chance of making right. contact right. against him. Uh, two point three one ERA, uh, two top six finishes for the Cy Young. Postseason dreadful. 14 games, 10.03 ERA. Wow. F- only 13 strikeouts in 11 and two thirds. And that's not going to get that's a, not, a small sample, but really bad. Yeah, that's and he not was on get losing it done. teams. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, Wagner, I think, maybe goes to the essence of what you think of the reliever in the Hall of Fame. Right. Now, obviously, Mariano Rivera is the first unanimous selection to go into Cooperstown. I personally think he's the greatest relief pitcher of all time. Yeah, I don't know how you would argue that, but yes. Um, but so I guess you would ask, where is the standard? You, you've got guys like Bruce Souter is in the Hall of Fame. Raleigh Fingers is in the Hall of Fame. Um, we started this podcast by saying we're not going to go if player X is greater than player right. Y and player right. Y is already in, then right. player X should be in. We're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But just on the merits, uh, Billy Wagner got, let's see, 31.7% of the vote this year. I could not see myself voting for him. I, I don't necessarily think that he's one of the greatest players uh, you know, of all time. Someone who has to be there, Earl Hall of Fame, is going to fall down. I, I think he would fall short for me. No, I, I, I think you're right. Although, I have to say, when, when you go back and you look at his numbers, some of them are pretty eye-popping. I mean, if you look at his saves to- save totals, he, he had a year of 39 Another year, thirty nine, a thirty five, a forty four, a thirty eight, a forty. You know, so he was pretty good for over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Now, Bill, remind me, or or I don't know if you know off the top of your head, were the Astros in the National League when he was playing with them, or were they, they were okay? So that, that's probably why we I wasn't that clued into him because we we weren't seeing them very much. That's right. Um, and then he was with the Mets for a little bit, right? You know, he, he bounced around he was with the Mets, uh, the Phillies. Uh, the uh, the Red Sox actually had him for like a cup of coffee, right? <laughs> sort sort of like how they had Lee Smith right. way at the end, <laughs> right, right? When he was way, done, right, right, way way at the end, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I I don't think of him as a Hall of Famer, but his numbers certainly do jump out at you. And I think if he if if uh, his postseason 
was better than it was. I think maybe he'd, he'd at least warrant some more serious consideration. I don't think he's going to ever get in. No, I'd be surprised if he got in. This was his fifth year on the ballot. Uh, you know, Realistically, you'd have to have a big push toward relievers getting in right. uh, to, to sneak him in. Um, next guy up would probably be uh, – I'd have to take a look, honestly, at Jeff Kent. And, and this is a guy who I took a little deeper look at earlier today. Right. And i got to say, I think I might vote for Jeff Kent. His numbers are sneaky good. Sneaky good. Yeah. And, you know, he's a guy who, like... You know, Nobody liked him. Well, we're out here on the East Coast. <laughs> right. He's playing for the Giants for the majority of his career. Um, a guy who wasn't necessarily well-liked either by the media or in his clubhouse. Right. And, uh, he, I, I, you know, I've never had any um, interaction with him. I don't think nope, you have either. either. So who knows? But th- that's sort of the book, that, that's, that's, that he's kind of prickly and a lot of guys weren't that close to him and didn't really like that's him. That's a book. And, you know, if I had to spend that much time with Barry Bonds while he's being miserable, I'd probably be in a bad mood as well. Um, you know, but had most of his prime with the Giants, uh, you know, then ended up with the Astros and then the Dodgers. Uh, for Kent, you know, just like you said, the numbers are sneaky good. Top 10 in the MVP four times. He won it in 2000 yep. in the National League. Right. Four-time Silver Slugger, 855 career OPS, and that's over 2,300 games. So he played for a long time, 17 seasons, and, yeah. and was pretty durable yeah. in that time. Uh, the similar players to Kent, according to baseball reference, some good guys here. Robinson Cano has a chance to get into the Hall yep. of Fame. Jim Rice is on that list. Yep. Ryan Sandberg is a Hall of Famer. Um, so someone who, considering the position that he played second base, not particularly well, he wasn't a good defensive second baseman, <laughs> right, right. but at the plate was, you could argue, one of the premier offensive second basemen of his time from the 90s and into the 2000s. I could see a way to voting for Jeff Kent. I, I think that he might make it onto my ballot. Yeah, he might. You know, I, I still don't look at him, look at him and say, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, and again, we're not going to do well if this guy got in, then, then. But, you know, if Larry Walker got in. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Phil Rizzuto got in, it's, it's right. what you really want to go back to. <laughs> right, right. You know. Uh, but, no, I, I, uh, I, I'm i with you. I, I was a little surprised when I went and looked at the numbers that uh, he was as consistently good over a 17-year span mm. in the big leagues as he was. Uh, so I, I think you could do worse than voting for Jeff Kent. He's probably the... You know, if you forced me to to vote for a second guy, he might be the second guy. Uh, you know, uh, on this list, I don't know that I would, but I I think I would vote for him before I voted for uh, uh, Larry Walker. Now Kent's eight fifty five OPS was the same as a guy who got eight percent more of the vote than him, and that's Scott Rowland. Hmm. Um, you know, longtime Phillies and Cardinals third baseman. Uh, he was the rookie of the year in nineteen ninety seven. He was top ten in the MVP only once. Eight Gold Gloves at third base. Uh, Another guy who was over 2,000 games, uh, as I said, had an 855 OPS. His offensive numbers were solid across the board. Not good in the playoffs, only a 678 OPS in right. 40 games. Uh, really dropped off there. Um, you know, a guy for me who was good player, uh, one of the better third basemen of his era, but I don't know if he rises to the level of, say, Adrian Beltre yeah. or Mike Schmidt. Oh, certainly um, not Schmidt. You know, somebody right, along right. those lines, you know, Brooks Robinson, mm. who was a great defender right, right. for a long time and who won championships with the Orioles. Um, I'm not sure if I could necessarily see Scott Rowland as being that great player. I think he's very good 
Yeah. And I think he's very good for a long period of time, but I'm not certain I could see myself voting for him. No, I'm right with you on this one. I, I, I like Scott Rowland as a player. I thought he was a very good player, consistent <laughs> player. Uh, I He never struck me as, yeah, this is a Hall of Fame player. So uh, I, I know this is, but I mean, this is only, I think, is his third year on the ballot. So, Correct. So, so we'll see. I mean, he's still got many years to go and. You know, it's you know, it's a Jim Rice syndrome. You know, you might, you know, he he's he wasn't a Hall of Famer for four because he was there for fifteen years. I think he was a was, was Rice it, during the fifteen. I, year I think period? he might have been during the fifteen. Yeah, well, so it used to be fifteen years, right? Folks, and then, and then now it was it's and 10. now it's ten. Whatever it was, but Rice right. got in at, right at the end. That's right. And you know, it's like all of those other years, he wasn't good enough, and then all of a sudden, he became good enough, and he hadn't played a game. So it, it may, you know, it, we may see that with Roland too, but. Right now, I don't. I don't look at him as a Hall of Famer. The, the last guy that we're going to discuss, um, I think, is sort of a victim of the offensive revolution. Now, uh, the premium that's placed on doing damage, you know, slugging percentage right. and you know doubles and home runs and whatever else. Omar Vizquel, oh, who yeah. to me would one hundred percent be on my ballot, um, appeared on fifty two point six percent of ballots this time in his third time. On the ballot. Mm. So he's a guy who could trend toward induction. Uh, quite simply, I think Omar Vizquel is the best defensive shortstop maybe of two generations, whether really? it be in the 90s or the 2000s. Oh, okay. Uh, right. I thought he was superb at that position. 11 gold gloves. Certainly in certainly in the uh, in the 90s. is fantastic. If you look at the similar players, according to baseball reference, you're going to hear a lot of Hall of Famers here. Luis Aparicio. Rabbit Marinville, who was like a turn-of-the-century guy in the early 1900s. Ozzie Smith, who I think he probably compares most favorably to. Mm -hmm. Luke Appling is a Hall of Famer. Pee Wee Reese is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Nellie Fox is a Hall of Famer. Right. Um, You know, I I just look at Fiskell, and I think he was so great in the field. He played 3,000 career games. Yeah, he played for 24 years. (laughs) Had had 400 steals. Right. Uh, you know, was continuously in the postseason, whether it be with Cleveland or, or in his other stops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look and I think that, yes, he had a 688 OPS and it wasn't very good and his batting average was okay. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's been de-emphasized. But in terms of the 90s and into the early 2000s, I don't know if there was, there certainly wasn't a better defensive shortstop. I don't know if there was a better defender at any position, right. period. And I think that, you know, and that's just the eye test. That's not necessarily looking at, at the metrics any deeper, and I'm sure folks would do that before right. they cast a ballot for him. Um, but I just thought that Fiskel was, was something special. And I think that the Hall of Fame is a place for guys who do something a little special. You know, you were right because uh, when, you, when you started uh, talking about him and, and you said that the shift towards, off, towards offense because you look at his offensive numbers and they don't jump off the page at you, certainly, but... If you watch the game, you watch when he played. He he was so good at shortstop. He's made everything look so effortless. He had tremendous range. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to have a few years like that. He was like that for the bulk of his career. Yeah, even when he sort of reached his forties, right. he was still a very good defender. Played until he was forty five. Yeah, right. So, you know, I, I think there, I, I think that that certainly warrants consideration. Um, it you know obviously defensive play isn't as sexy. It doesn't, it you know it's not what uh, you know. You, no one is usually uh, as a kid dreaming of making a, sh- a play at shortstop as much as they are hitting a home run to win the game. Right. But um, you know, 
Um, I would have to I would have to look look a little harder at Omar Vizquel if I had a if I had a a, a vote because. You know, he was such a good defensive player, and he really impacted the game from that, you know, from that position. Uh, and he wasn't a terrible offensive player. No. I mean, he had a two, what, 272 career average, so that's certainly not, you know, that's certainly not bad. But His his career OPS was better than Ozzie Smith. His right. postseason OPS was also better than Ozzie right. Smith. Right, right. Um, you you could argue whether or not he was the defender that Ozzy Smith was. I think that's splitting hairs. Right, right. Um, but Ozzy Smith is in the Hall of Fame, worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Was the best defensive shortstop of the seventies and the eighties. I think Vizquel took that mantle and ran with it, starting with his career in Seattle and and continuing on to Cleveland and to the Giants. I I don't think that there was anybody you would have rather had out there than him. Did he ever win a World Series with that with the with the Giants in those years? Did the Giants win in any, any of those years? Because I think that I think that certainly helped Ozzie Smith. When he did he, not you know, win a right. ring. Yeah, and I think that 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 sort of that sort of goes against you. You know, it's yeah. not fair, but it does go against you. You know, he you know, you don't have the, the eyes of the nation watching you win a World Series. He, I know, uh, he, I know, he lost at least one. He he missed a ring by a couple of years in San Francisco. He yeah. was there from 2005 to 2008. Right. Um, he was on the Cleveland team that lost, right? Cleveland, obviously, he played in the World Series in 1995. They lost right. uh, to Atlanta. He played in the World Series in 1997. They lost to the Marlins. Right. Um, you know, he lost uh, to that great Pedro Martinez performance in 1999, yeah. the Red Sox. Now, right. the Yankees were a wagon in the late 90s. Right. Uh, he had the misfortune of playing in the American League while the Yankees were there uh, and came back to power under Derek Jeter right. and, and that crew. Um, you know, so he was sort of wrong place, wrong time, being in the American League while the Yankees were strong, right. and going to the National League before the Giants really took off. Right. Again, somebody that I could probably convince myself to vote for as a Hall of Famer, but not on the face of it, say, yeah, he definitely is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, um, I, I think I think I would vote for him. Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, uh, Bill, that that wasn't bad. We 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 did it in less than an hour. Um, so I don't know. Maybe something else will come up, like. The Red Sox hiring a uh, a manager that would warrant us uh, to hold another uh, to hold another uh, Twin Bills podcast. Um, speaking of the Red Sox, mm. um, so they are um, I want to say three weeks from pitchers and catchers reporting now, maybe a little less. It's February twelfth, right? February eleventh or twelfth, I think. Yeah, yeah. Truck day, February third. February third. Yeah. Uh, last I checked, they still don't have a manager. Correct. Um, I know that Sam Kennedy said something about that they'd like he'd like to get somebody on board before spring training. That makes sense. It's a worthwhile <laughs> goal, right? What right. do you think? Do you think that that uh, that they're going to find somebody to truly be, um, you know, to, to be a real manager, or is it going to be kind of like a stopgap because you know the factors of the time and you know it's. This is not an ideal time to be looking for a candidate. Yeah, it's the timing. It's what candidates are on the market. It's who High and Bloom knows, right? Um, because he hasn't spearheaded a managerial hire before. He's been involved with the Rays a couple times, but it hasn't been his show, right. his production. Um, he's not necessarily picking from a full field of candidates. Right? Now. No, not even close. Uh, the the time frame, as you mentioned, being compressed like right. it is, it, right. it adds some pressure. I also think that Boston is waiting for the league's results of the investigation in the 2018 Red Sox. And and I say that because if Ron Renneke is implicated in some way in that investigation, right, you can't, you can't make him the no. manager. Right, right. Um, I think otherwise, 
you know, Renicky is in his early 60s. I think he'd be comfortable with being the manager for one year. Right. If they went to him and said, Ron, we're in a tough spot. You know the players. The players are like you. Yeah. Uh, you know it's a good team. You have a chance to win. Um, would you be comfortable just doing this for one year? And we're going to take six months and look for someone long term, right? Uh, and then you can decide if you want to continue on with the person we hire, right. uh, or if you'd like to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to you. We we could reassign you within the organization. Um, you know, you could theoretically you could retire. He'd be sixty four or sixty five by then, right? Um, or he could go look for another job elsewhere. You know, as a bench coach with a manager who he knows, whatever right. it might be. Uh, so I think a lot is going to depend on on the league's investigation. With respect to Renicky or Carlos Fabulous or Jason Baratek, anyone in house, right? Um, and I'm more inclined to think that based on the circumstances, Bloom being a bit new and the field being a little thin, that they're looking to make a one year hire. Mm. That seems to make sense, and I think um, just having a, a really qualified pool of candidates is is important. I don't think you have that now, mm. you know. And so if they if they are able to get somebody like Renicky who who would agree to do it for a year if, if there's no sort of stain on him from, from this investigation right or if there's a uh, you know if there's a veteran out there who wouldn't mind coming in and you know with the understanding that hey you're going to do this for a year right and maybe we'll give you a club option for a second or something like that right. but but you know this is not you know we're not hiring you because we expect you to be here for five or six or eight years right you know so I don't know if that's somebody like Bruce Bochy if that's something he'd consider. Buck Showalter, Buck Showalter, John Gibbons, yeah, Dusty, Dusty Baker. Baker. Those right. are some of the names we've heard. Sure. Uh, because to me, if you're going to go with somebody like Jason Veritek, it's probably not an inter Like, Veritek is sort of like, if you're going to hire Jason Veritek as your manager, it would be because you want him to be your manager, and it's not because you want him to just keep the seat warm. Correct. At least that's my that's my take on it. So, I agree with you. So, you know, now, maybe Jason Veritek would be a great manager. He's obviously in-house, you know, sort of. Um and again, I think it brought us up last time. I'm not sure how much he wants to do it if he if he does. Um, See, I think he would do it. I think he's been out long enough. I think he would do it. Okay, but again, I don't think he. I don't think you go to him and say we want you to do it for a year. He would not do it to be an interim guy. Right. There is no way. Right. Uh, he would have to be the hire. Yeah. Going forward. Yeah. And maybe and maybe he would be a great hire. Who knows? Um, He'd certainly win the press conference, as we've said. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know. We'll see. I mean, Truck Day is, is coming. Um, we should have like a little pool. Like, do you think they'll hire somebody by Truck Day or after Truck Day? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm thinking that that they're going to have somebody before spring training gets going for real. Wow one of the, one of the casinos in Vegas has to have. Oh, there's got to be a prop bet that, right? for that, right? There's maybe be that. Va- maybe Twin River has that. Could be. <laughs> Could be our friends at Twin River. We should check in with uh, Andy Gresh. He's over there, a fair amount at Twin River. Doing saying his that, show on WPR, right? Yeah, he's saying Andy has the inside track on some of this stuff. I think he knows some of the folks at uh, the Twin River Sportsbook. Right. I, I think uh, you know if they're posting those sort of odds or have some friends at Vegas, he might have a little inside. We should get Andy. You know, not, now that uh, now that the uh, Patriot season over is over and he doesn't, he's not toiling away each week on the Gresh's grades column. Mm. That uh, yeah, maybe he can uh, pop in and, and uh, enlighten us with some. Uh, with some hot picks, have Andy turned both barrels on the Red Sox? Oh boy, outstanding! <laughs> you know, and he's and he's brimming with all this energy now. Andy Gresh, for folks who don't know, has lost 110 pounds. I see him on the commercial; he looks great. Yeah, uh, he's he's sponsored by Awaken 180, which is a, an all-encompassing weight loss program that addresses not only nutrition but the mental side of it as well. Uh, they they offer you counseling and 
um, you know, whatever else. Are they paying you for any of this? No, they're not oh. paying me. I think they are paying him. <laughs> right. Um, you know, but he looks phenomenal. And, and the fact that he's done that in five or six months is, is a testament to how dedicated he is yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, oh, he does know, look great. And I, I've told him, you know, because I've, I've spoken to him a couple times. I've mm-hmm. been on a show a couple times. Um, you know, I, I give him endless credit for, for being able to make a – a transformation and a commitment like that. It's something I wish I could do. Right. But it's not, it's certainly much easier said than done. Because I, I marvel at the man. Yeah. I, I yeah. do. You know, and a lot of people say, oh, you know, that's cute. You know, you're making a joke. I, I am not. I mm. couldn't be more serious. I, you know, tip of the hat to Andy Gresh for, for what he's done, right. uh, you know, really to, to give himself a chance to, to be with us a Absolutely. lot longer. Absolutely. Well, uh, at the risk of making this thing even longer, uh, I, I will. I will uh, avoid getting into uh, URI basketball talk because ah. that is the sole area of uh, the Pick and Pop podcast. So I'll uh, leave Later that. in the week, Thursday will, or Friday. I will leave that to you and Kevin McNamara. Uh, Bill, it's been great as usual. And who knows? We may be doing another a Moonlight podcast on the Red Sox uh, one of these nights. All right, Bill. Yeah. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.